Well, good morning. <laughs> Welcome to Faith Church. Uh, Sue, your voice was so calming. <laughs> Maybe I should just give you my notes and you should preach. That was really, really nice. All right. Well, I'm excited to be able to preach this morning. Um, this is a great opportunity, especially with one service. And I'm sorry, Pastor Brent, get to steal the first one here. Uh, but I'm excited because we see the first service people in with the second service. And what a great crowd this is. This is amazing. Now, the only negative is if I really bomb badly in this service, I don't have a second one to redeem myself. So, but ultimately, uh, truly, I hope God gets glorified as we worship him this morning and learn more about his word. That's the ultimate goal. Um, but I want to just take a minute before we get into it and just brag on our church for a little bit, because really, God has blessed us so much here at Faith Church. So many great leaders, so many great faces. This worship team does an incredible job. And uh, yeah. They, they take joy in their worship and using the talents that God gave them. You see Gus up here ripping it up? Man, if I had that talent, whew, that'd be awesome. All right, but they take joy in worshiping God. And the thing is, is they take it seriously. They don't just get up here and, and just jam out using their talents for no reason. They take it seriously and they set the tone for Christ-filled worship on a weekly basis. But then we also have a lot of other ministry leaders who uh, don't always get recognized. They're not always up here. So whether it's first impressions team, the sound, the media team, um, security, we have our nursery workers, children's workers, youth leaders, and on and on. If you're getting the point here, we are blessed with all the people that God has given us here. And the thing is, is God's at work here in Waterville, Maine, and we should be excited to be a part of what he's doing here at his church. And hopefully he continues being glorified and pleased with his church. Now, before we get into the sermon, I'd really like to open in prayer. So I'd ask you to please join me. Dear God, first of all, Lord, I ask you to please lead me with your Holy Spirit and speak through me this morning, God. Lord, I ask that what I say is not, not what tickles the ears of your people, God, but truly is what you want your people to hear and what we need for our lives today. God, I ask that you push out all the distractions. Help us not to worry about what we're going to do after service or, or even in the week ahead. But help us to be focused and open and receptive to hearing your words this morning. God, I truly hope you are glorified by this whole service this morning as we worship your holy name. In your name, amen. Well, like Pastor Brent said last week, we're kind of tag-teaming this thing. Although he just threw me a curveball when he threw out chapter 5 or 6. Because I'm preaching on chapter 5, so you got me thinking a little bit. Am I supposed to be doing chapter 6? Um, but we're tag-teaming it, and so hopefully I'll come at it a little different, even though it's the same passage as last week, um, kind of with a different angle, a little bit of different applications and points as we go through this. And as we've seen through the book of John, there's been certain instances that reveal the faith or lack of faith of certain people. Simply put, this faith or lack of faith in Jesus, right? This man who's turning the world upside down one person at a time. Now, before I get too deep into it, I just want to share a little story with you. My wife and I, we have a close friend who suffered a serious stroke over the past year. In fact, they didn't think he was going to make it. It was extremely serious. Now, he and his family are not religious. They're not believers. And they began begging and praying to God for a miracle to take place. They truly wanted him to be healed. And they asked us as well, can you please be praying for him? And we did. 
And it seemed like they were actually softening to God's word. We were really hopeful that they were going to turn to Christ during this time. Well, by God's grace, the miracle took place. This man is healed, and he has since fully recovered from this stroke. It's incredible, and really, there is no denying that God healed this man. Now, fast forward just a few months after, the man and the family went right back to the way it was before, as if the miracle never even happened. They now don't go to church any longer. They're not looking in the God's word for his guidance and leading. It's almost as if there's now no need for God any longer. The physical need was met, and now there's no need for the spiritual. And they moved quickly on from God back to their old way of life. And, you know, this is so sad, but it's true. It's a, it's a common occurrence that we so see so often. You know, uh, uh, throughout all humanity, whether it be riches or health or easy living, we see that many times man finds himself without needing God. All right, well, we're going to start off in John chapter 5, verse 1, and we're going to go over quickly what Pastor Brent preached on last week and Sue just read, but I'll read it for you. After these things, it was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos, in these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. Immediately, the man became well and picked up his pallet and walked. All right, well, we just read that the healing takes place at the pool of Bethesda. Now, I don't know about you guys, but it brings me back to my childhood because I, I kind of picture a community pool. And, you know, you always have fun at the community pools. I remember down in Florida going to them with our friends. Yeah, you always have fun, but you always came out smelling like a big chlorine stick, right? You had dry skin, bloodshot eyes for the remainder of the day. Now, I'm not complaining because that's probably better than what you would smell like if they didn't pump it full of chlorine. Now, we need to keep in mind that there was always the assumption that the pool's water being stirred or agitated was what caused the healing. And so that's why the disabled would sit right beside this pool with hopes of getting down into the water. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on this because Pastor Brent explained it really well last week, uh, but I'll touch on it briefly. You see, Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? And we assume it's a rhetorical question uh, because who wouldn't want to get well, Right. Um, but even more so, this man's response reveals his lack of faith in Jesus. And instead of recognizing who Jesus is and the power that he has, he jumps quickly to his physical need, which he thinks is for this man to pick him up and put him in the pool when the waters are stirred. Now, I don't want to assume the man believed or didn't believe in Jesus. However, we see that belief in Jesus doesn't necessarily take place when someone's miraculously healed, just like that guy who had that serious stroke from, st from earlier in my story. Now, now we're getting into the meat of the story here. Okay. The, the issue that arises from this miraculous healing. If you join me in verse 10, now it was Sabbath on that day. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, it's the Sabbath. It's not permissible for you to carry your pallet. 
But he answered them, he who made me well was the one who said to me, pick up your pallet and walk. They asked him, who's the man who said to you, pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Now, this is kind of shocking. You really think these men really would be thrilled for this guy. They'd be jumping around celebrating this miracle that just took place. And instead, they're more upset that the law had been broken than the fact that this man was just healed. In fact, they focused more on that mat that was carried than the new legs this man was walking on. Now, I really sense a little bit of shock from the man as well. Because he's like, uh, you know, this man just healed me of a disability I've suffered with for 38 years. I'd do absolutely anything this man said, right? Whether it's on the Sabbath or not, he now recognizes the power that Jesus possessed. However, he is quick to pass the blame on this man who just healed him. You know, we'll see, it's almost as if the leaders are bullying him or forcing him into finding out who this miracle man was. Because in this next passage, we're actually going to see this man in the temple. And instead of trying to protect Jesus from the leaders, who he knew they were angry with him, and they were going to try to pursue him uh, right away. Instead of trying to protect Jesus, this man gives Jesus away immediately and, and kind of uses it as a deflection away from himself. But now think back to that story at the beginning of this message. How many times have you seen or heard that same story play out where somebody was miraculously saved? Maybe they should have died in a car accident or, or a drug overdose, and yet they lived. And so now that physical miraculous healing has taken place, and yet so often people go right back to the way it was before without being changed. And I believe this is actually what takes place with this man and these Jewish leaders, as they overlook what just happened. They have a lack of acknowledgement for what just happened. Now, we often look at these Jewish leaders as if they're awful and selfish people. And it's true, they're sinners for sure. But how many times in our own life do we fall prey to the thought that we're better than somebody else because we're adhering to the law? And we so often lose sight of that true faith in Jesus and that grace that redeemed us all from our sins. All right, let's pick it up in verse 14. It says, Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you've become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Now, you may be thinking this passage is about healing and how this man was transformed by the power of Jesus. And that's absolutely part of it. But even more so is this issue at hand with the Jewish leaders. And it's an issue, really, that Jesus battles throughout his time here on earth. And it's an issue of false religion that's leading people to hell. You know, Jesus knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He could have healed this man a day before or even a day after. He could have healed the man and still found him in the temple and told him to go and sin no more. But this is significant because it was on the Sabbath, and he told the man to pick up his pallet and walk. Now, this was a horrible thing to do back in that day especially in, in front of a large crowd that was there to witness such blatant disobedience to the law of the Sabbath. Now, the actual issue with the Sabbath still rages on today. Some religions believe you can only worship on Saturday. 
And so we have to be very careful not to falsely identify Sunday as the only Sabbath with all the issues that are attached to it. I believe, though, this is an important and relevant topic today because many Christians don't have a full understanding of the Sabbath. And sure, we understand that God created the world for six days and then he rested on the seventh day. But we also wonder if Jesus abolished or fulfilled the law of the Sabbath when he came and died for us. Or is that even possible if it's one of the Ten Commandments? However, we get to see Jesus speak into this subject. As he's walking through a grain field, as you know in Mark, uh, Jesus and his disciples are walking through a grain field, and the disciples are picking the heads of the grain. And they rob them together and get out the good stuff and eat those, just like sunflower seeds, right? Same idea, trying to get the good stuff out of there. Mark 2 says this, The Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and he and his companions became hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priest. And he also gave it to those who were with him. Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man to cease from working and reflect on the holiness of God. That's the importance and the focus of the Sabbath. Unfortunately, man added to it, which made it about works. And John MacArthur explains it like this. They had perverted the law. The only thing you were not to do was the normal work, the normal jobs, commerce, But they added dozens of prescriptions and commands, impossible burdens into the greatest bondage of the week. Now, the Sabbath debate originates from the fourth commandment that God gave to Moses. If you remember in Exodus 20, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And the Ten Commandments are applicable and prevalent for us today. Just because they're Old Testament doesn't mean we don't live by them any longer. And so we need to understand that carrying the mat and walking or healing on the Sabbath are not breaking the commandment. The only law that's being broken here is a man-made rule that's added on to the fourth commandment. In fact, these Jewish leaders, they attached a list of 39 things you could not do in the Sabbath. These are called the Mishnah, and it included categories like burning, slaughtering, washing, cooking, uh, building, and so on. And they've actually grown more extensive through the years. So, for example, carrying a handkerchief on the Sabbath is not allowed, but you could wear one. Or looking in the mirror was forbidden because you may see a gray hair and be tempted to pluck it and thus perform work. Or my favorite, the Jews actually debated that if a man with a wooden leg, if his house caught on fire, could he carry that wooden leg out on the Sabbath? I know it's ridiculous. I know these are goofy examples, but they were closely watched by the Jewish leaders. And there was a price to pay for breaking these man-made rules on the Sabbath. All right, well, turkey season just ended yesterday. I love turkey hunting. It's a lot of fun here, and the turkeys uh, out in the field, they fly down, they start gobbling, and uh, it's a blast. No pun intended there. Uh, but a few weeks ago, me and my friend, we woke up early, we uh, went out to our, our favorite spot, and we actually take our little decoys. If you've ever been turkey hunting, you understand this. We put our hen and our jig decoy out in the field. All right, And we do that to take the focus off of us so when these turkeys come in, they, they don't see us. They don't bust us. They're looking at the decoys. 
Well, it was the perfect setup, the perfect morning. The turkeys flew down and started gobbling, and then they started strutting out there, fanning out. My blood started pumping. <laughs> and it was just, it was perfect time. So, anyways, we did the little hen call. Oh, and they were interested. You could see they started looking over at us. We did it a few more times. Oh, and that lead Tom fluffed right up. And then put his put his little feathers down and came bombing over, bringing that whole flock of turkeys right to our decoys. And you know the end of the story. <laughs> but as we talk about this Sabbath, we see man started adding rules to it. And so it becomes a decoy or false religion that takes away from what we should be focusing on. And this is why when people hear about the Sabbath, they usually focus on what you can't do instead of focusing on what has been done. And of course, that's what we see here, and it's called legalism. And we must recognize that legalism and watered-down truth are both dangerous and common false religions that trap believers and unbelievers alike. You know, it's one of Satan's biggest lies that we can do it on our own. We want to work harder to earn our salvation, or we want a loving God without that judgment, right? And we see this with Adam and Eve in Genesis, when they ate the fruit of the tree because they wanted to do it on their own. Verse 4 says, The serpent said to the woman, You certainly will not die, for God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll become like God, knowing good and evil. They wanted to know everything, and it's what every human on this earth struggles with. It's where we want to be the master instead of following our creator. Now, we do live in a culture that's watered down the day we go to church, right? It's now accessible online, which is an incredible blessing for those who can't make it into church. But now you can watch it at your own convenience. So whether that's after the Patriots play or after going boating all day, and I have to be very careful here. Everybody's piercing me now with their eyes. I have to be careful. Boating Uh, watching Patriots play, having a barbecue on Sunday is not wrong. We already discussed that Sunday is not the only Sabbath. However, I do believe that coming together and worshiping with your church body like we're doing right now and focusing on God should be the priority. The other things are optional. Hebrews 10 reminds us to not abandon meeting together as is the habit of some people. See, God wants us to focus on him. Not just add him as an extra thing you tag on to a Sunday to make sure you check in and watch at your convenience. John Piper says, so Jesus didn't come to abolish the Sabbath, but to dig it out from under the mountain of legalistic sediment and give it to us again as a blessing rather than a burden. You know, the Sabbath is a blessing when we use it as a day to break from our usual job. God knows what's best for his people. So in a practical sense, he gave us an example to rest from our usual workday. Now, as a youth pastor, I'll be back here this evening. Well, actually down at Giffords playing mini golf uh, for youth group. So Sunday is not my day of unplugging from work and letting my mind rest. In fact, it's one of the busiest days of the week for me. So am I breaking the law because of it? Of course not. God wants us to take a break, cease from our usual work, and remember him. And so Monday is that day for me. So if you're a farmer, take the day to take a nap and rest. Let your hands and body have a day off. If you're an accountant, put your pen down. Go for a hike or go disc golfing. (laughs) But the most important thing is taking a break from our usual work and reflecting on what God's done for us. 
Now, when it comes to living by the law, I've heard before that it's better to live my life in a more rigid and more strict way with a better safe than sorry attitude. And I'll agree, it's usually safer to do so. But Paul says in Romans 14, one person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. And John Piper kind of sums it up like this. We can take this to imply that some think all days qualify for the Sabbath. Some think only Saturday qualifies. Others only Sunday. Do not condemn one another over these disagreements. Because God wants us to learn how to live by faith. Which means he wants us to develop personal convictions based on our ongoing relationship with him. So each will be convicted differently. And it becomes very dangerous when your stance starts looking down at someone else as less of a Christian. Paul follows up in verse 10 of the same chapter. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we'll all stand before the judgment seat of God. And in verse 13, therefore, let's not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother or sister's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing's unclean in itself, but to the one who drinks, who thinks something is unclean to that person, it's unclean for if because of food, your brother or sister is hurt. You're no longer walking in accordance with love. Do not destroy with your choice of food, that person for whom Christ died. Now at our house during bedtime, I have four little kids, so it's pretty chaotic (laughs) And when it's bedtime, my wife and I are pretty thrilled <laughs> to get them in bed. Uh, but we'll usually go into their rooms and we'll sing and pray with our kiddos. And uh, then we'll usually go out to the living room. But occasionally, we'll go into my son's room and kiss and pray with him and uh, sing with him. And then we'll say, hey, you can stay up a little bit later and play in your room, okay, as long as you're doing it quietly. So we'll go out to our, the living room and hang out. And you can usually hear him in his room playing with some, with some toy, right? He's driving a truck, or flying an airplane, that almost sounded the same, or a lightsaber swinging that thing around. You can hear him playing with the toy. And so my older child, who actually sleeps in a separate room, and who didn't know we told him he could stay up a little later to play, yells out, Mom, Dad, he's playing with a toy. <laughs> Now, as a loving parent, my wife and I just want her to worry about herself and to obey us. We'll take care of the issue with our son. Now, God is that perfect loving parent. He just wants us to obey him and not worry so much about what everyone else is doing. Now, obviously, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 5 that there's a time to approach believers and address sin they may be, may be engaged in or that's crept into the church. But how often do we see a certain stance, a strong stance on a certain topic, whether it's food or or drinking or dancing, what we watch, skirts to the knees or skirts to the ankles, what we listen to, how we do a certain thing. And when if it's something that someone disagrees with another, they look down on that person as if they would never do such an evil thing. But God says we'll have different convictions as we grow in our faith. And he wants us to stand firm in those convictions without being a stumbling block to others. Now, some of these things are a result of traditionalism. Because some things may have started out in a sincere conviction in a person's life. But as it's ingrained into the second and third generation, it becomes just a tradition that isn't from that same conviction and same heart. Now, I enjoy watching baseball. Any baseball fans out there? Oh, a few. Okay. I think there's more than that, but 
Uh, I enjoy watching baseball, but I love playing baseball. It is so much fun. And I've always been impressed when a pitcher can throw a 100-mile-per-hour fastball. That is quite amazing. In fact, have any of you ever seen Randy Johnson's where he winds up, lets that ball rip, and it's heading towards the catcher, and a bird flies across? Poof! All you see is feathers. (laughs) Well, that really has nothing to do with the message, but it's still really cool. Now, you know if you're a pitcher in baseball, you're required to touch the rubber mat with your pivot foot. So you can stretch as far as forward as possible or even to the backside if you want. But regardless, you must be touching that rubber mat while in the motion of your pitch. You see, we all go a bit forward and backward on our convictions. And oftentimes it changes throughout our lifetime. However, we must be fully grounded to our mat, God's word. And be careful not to judge others simply from where we're standing on the mound. Now, obviously, I'm talking about smaller issues here, so please don't misunderstand me. Uh, Sound doctrine and God's commands never change. But there's a real danger of pulling away from God's word as disguised as keeping the law. Let's see where I am here. (laughs) Paul says in Romans 14, the faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. You know, if we're not sure if something's pleasing to God or not, we should refrain from doing it. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. He didn't ask what's wrong with it, but will this honor and glorify God? This legalism that the Pharisees focus on here robs us of the joy of the Lord. Instead of living in a a freedom that grace offers us, it becomes a heavy burden that no one can carry. In fact, it's called a yoke, not an egg yoke, a yoke. (laughs) And this is a term that's actually used throughout scripture. And back in that day and in that culture, Everybody knew what it was and what it was used for. Now, for us city folk, a yoke is placed on an animal for the purpose of guiding the animal as it performs for the master. And as you can see the picture, it has the little ringlets on the side. Uh, From that yoke could be attached a plow or a wagon or whatever the master needs done. So putting that yoke of slavery, that law back on your neck, you'd be living under the burden of guilt and shame. Instead, of doing it outside of God's grace. That's what we try to force. You must rely on God's grace. And this is what the Jewish leaders were actually putting on the people and living themselves. Acts 13 says, And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things, from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. You know, the Jews who had an issue with Jesus could not be freed from the law as hard as they wanted to abide by it. They were still bound to their own sins because of it. Well, you know, we live in that do-it-yourself generation. You hear this all the time. You can watch a YouTube video, and you feel like you can tear down and rebuild an entire engine. Or, like my wife, you watch Fixer Upper, and you're ready to demolish your house and rebuild it like Chip and Joanna Gaines. (laughs) So when it comes to salvation and sanctification, we have a difficult time accepting his grace and surrendering ourselves to his will. Instead, we want to do it ourselves and earn it. You know, the concept of work is do work and earn money. Now, that coupled with our pride makes a difficult level to where we earn or try to earn our salvation. Now, 
All throughout scripture, we see men putting that yoke back on the law of, of their necks. In Acts 15, some men came down from Judea, and they began teaching the brothers, brothers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, Paul and Barnabas, they recognized this immediately, and they called it out because they saw false doctrine. They called it out for being wrong. And then Peter actually stands up in front of the council and says this in verse 8, And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Since this is the case, why are you putting God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke, which neither our forefathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we're saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. So the big thing here isn't keeping the yoke off, but don't put that wrong one on, which is the yoke of slavery. Because Christ tells us in Matthew 11, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is comfortable and my burden is light. So we all have a yoke on us. It just depends whose yoke do you have on. You know, when we take Jesus's yoke upon us, we are placing him as the master and being guided by his will. But when we put that yoke of slavery back on, it makes our lives miserable. We begin pulling away from Christ and looking at others who are not adhering to the law as closely as we appear. You may say, Gary, I don't have a yoke on me. I'm not a slave to anyone. Well, then try to quit whatever it is you struggle with, whether it's alcohol or pornography, greed, anger, uh, and on and on. You're yoked to something if you're not yoked to Christ. Now, false religion actually focuses on two opposite ends of the spectrum. There's legalism. This is above what God commands. This is adding to scripture. And then there's liberalism. This is below what God commands, and it's taking away from scripture. Both equally miss the mark and are dangerous. The thing is, is stretching truth or lacking truth leads to death. So how can we stay in the center? Well, I'm glad you asked. Well, a couple years ago, we actually went to an all-nighter event called Reverb down in Portland with the youth group. It's a lot of fun. Have a good time, and we go into Portland, then we come back, and we, we land in Topsom at this big, huge gym. And they have knocker ball, they have soccer, dodgeball, football, all kinds of inflatable courses. One of them was this inflatable course with like a 20-foot-long rotating log going around, kind of like something you'd see on that TV show Wipeout. And uh, let me tell you, it is not easy to balance on a rotating log. You tend to fall too far forward or too far backwards. And so I'd get a running start and, and jump on that thing and eventually go to the left or right and fall over. I kept wiping out. Now, there was a couple teams, I don't know, Alex Hilton, maybe Cameron Johnson, a few guys who could fly across this thing and make it to the other side. But here's the point. In our lives, we try to balance on the log and stay on track with God's word. But when we try to walk on that log by ourselves, we rely on our good works in our life. We tend to fall forward or compensate and lean too far backwards. We can never successfully make it by ourselves. So the Holy Spirit and the word of God are the only way we can balance on that log without falling overboard. And that's why we need to surrender our lives to his will and accept the gift of grace he's given us and revisit this grace daily. You know, we can only stay balanced when we're led by the spirit and living in the gospel. 
And this is what Pastor Brent preaches to us week after week. That way, every response we have, whether it's to our culture or to politics or to our community, the response to all these forums will be rooted in the gospel. So it'll be grounded in the scripture instead of going too far forward or too far backwards. We must be gospel-centered, and that's how the Holy Spirit will use us to make a difference in our community. Now, the false religion these Jewish leaders were teaching was leading multitudes away from a true saving faith in Jesus. And Jesus is here to to highlight it and reveal it so that the audience of the day could understand it and see it clearly and recognize it. But also for the many generations to come who are going to read it in God's holy word, which is you and I. I totally lost my place. (laughs) I'm sorry. See you here. Okay, there we go. And this is the main purpose of healing on the Sabbath. Maybe God did that, right? Had me lose my place because this is the main purpose here. Get everybody to wake up. The main purpose of healing on the Sabbath, the law led by a relationship with Jesus Christ, is beautiful and a delightful thing to follow. However, without grace, it becomes oppressive and fueled with selfish pride. Now, as we wind down this morning in verse 17, but he answered them, my father's always working until now, and I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. You know, back then there was a common understanding, even amongst the Jewish leaders, that God rested on the seventh day, but he still worked by holding the universe together. And so this is what Jesus is saying. He's pointing out that he's doing the same thing as his father. And this was the ultimate straw that was pulled, calling himself equal with God. But this was a bold claim that we actually hinge our whole of Christianity on. And this is why we, this claim verifies why we can fully trust him and call him our savior. And this is the theme of John's gospel that Jesus claimed to be equal with God because he is God. You know, as a teenager, I always believed in God. I recognized that he was the creator of the universe. I did. I understood that. But I'll admit, I saw the law as a heavy burden that brought a lot of guilt and shame on me. However, I didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ until uh, probably a couple years, two, three years after I graduated high school. And once I had that relationship with my Savior, that grace freed me from that guilt and shame. And the law became a delight. You know, these Jewish leaders knew there was a God. They believed in him. In fact, they were devoting their life to him. But they didn't recognize or believe that Jesus was the Savior of the world. In fact, their self-righteousness made them overlook the fact that the promise of God was fulfilled right in front of their eyes. And they continued living their life with the burden or with the law being a burden. You know, Warren Wearsby, he's a great commentary writer, says this. The religious people who say they worship God, but who deny the deity of Christ, have neither the Father nor the Son. Apart from Jesus Christ, we cannot know, worship, or serve the Father. And even more importantly, Jesus' words in John 14, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this is why it's so important for us to have a vibrant, growing relationship with the Savior instead of just doing good works. 
Now, as we wrap it up this morning, if you could please stand. Worship team, if you could make your way down. In this passage, we see God showed up to bring us the good news of grace and warn us of the false religion, the dangers that are lurking around us. You know, in our lives, when we begin pulling away from his grace, it's because of a lack of appreciation for the blood that was spilt for our sins. And that's the issue of false religion. It's an issue where we don't fully grasp that his grace is all we need. If you could, please bow your heads. If you're here this morning, you believe in God, and you know he's the creator, but you've never had a relationship with him. I want you to know you can begin that relationship today by acknowledging you're a sinner and know that you need a savior and recognize that Jesus Christ is your rescuer who gave his life for you to cover your sins. He's offering you this free gift of grace this morning, no strings attached, no works needed. But you know, there's one more important step and that's asking for forgiveness from your sins and turning from your old ways and becoming a new person who lives for him. Now for those those of us who are believers and we've already been justified by God's grace, we need to delight in the law and serve God with a grateful heart for the grace that he continuously pours out on us. We need to stay focused on Christ and the gospel so we don't fall in to false religion. Dear God, Lord, thank you for the gift of grace you've given us. Help us to be grateful every day as you pour your grace on us. Lord, keep us in your word and lead us by the Holy Spirit so we can stay grounded and live for you. Lord, help us to have that grace on others and not judge others from where we're standing on the mound, but rather come alongside them and encourage them in their walk with you. Lord, please help us to remain in your will this week and look for opportunities to share that gospel with others. In your name, amen.